I'm Noah Batmiri, and I'm joined here by Rabbi David Silver, the founder and dean of the Drisha Institute for Jewish Education. During this season, entitled Seder and Song, you will hear four voices, my own, that of Rabbi David Silver, that of a clarinet played by Mr. Andy Statman, and that of a piano played by Mr. Abaya Steinmetz Silver. We hope that you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to Seder and Song, a project of the Drisha Institute for Jewish Education. I am Noah Batmiri, and I'm here with Rabbi David Silber, the founder and dean of Drisha. And we are going to be talking about the Seder. So, Rabbi Silber, the Passover Seder is the most widely and consistently observed Jewish ritual in the world. Everybody does it. Why do you think that is? I think there are a couple of reasons for it. Um, First of all, it's a ritual that takes place inside the home. And it has a different feel to it. Maybe it feels more natural, more part of one's life. It's a ritual that is family-based. And actually, when you think about it, in the Torah, in the first Passover, as it were, Paschal sacrifice, uh, the sacrifice was brought inside the home, not only inside the home, but actually on the home. The Torah speaks of throwing the blood, putting the blood on the doorposts, the lintel, the doorpost, the house becomes a sacrificial altar. And even though later in the Torah... It becomes centralized within the temple. But the Seder ritual that we have really recalls that earlier representation of this of the Passover, which is inside the house. So I think that it is uh, family-centered, and the family is the building block of, of the nation. Uh, it's inside the house. And furthermore, and I think very importantly, It's about not just reciting things or singing or reciting or studying, but it's also about a meal. It is a meal. It is, no doubt, the central meal uh, that the Jewish people observe. And I remember that the uh, anthropologist Mary Douglas, in one of her works, spoke about the meal not just as a biological act, but as a social phenomenon. And she said, if you want to understand the certain practice or a set of practices, the first place to look is at is the great meal. Well, in the Jewish tradition, that's very simple. The Seder is the great meal. So it's centered around the meal. It's a combination of ritual, meal, song. It is bringing the family together in the setting of the house. And think for those reasons, it is without question the most observed and the most central ritual that the Jewish people have. Okay, so we're speaking about the Seder, and as you said, there is a meal component, and 
the meal becomes ritualized, but it isn't all eating. Um, can you describe the Seder, the order, as it were? Yes, yeah, so actually the order is very interesting. The word Seder actually means order. And there are really two things that we do with the Seder. One is we eat the meal. And it is not just any ordinary meal. It is a festival meal. It's a meal which we eat on a day that we call holy, a sacred day, a holiday, a holy day. And we know that on the holy days in the Jewish tradition, of course, we start with Kiddush, we make a blessing over wine, which is interesting because we do that when we go, for example, to significant events, perhaps a wedding or some other significant event. There are drinks before you eat. So, so the drinks are part of the social piece of the meal. So we start the every Shabbat, every Sabbath, we start with Kiddush. And we do that on Passover as well. And we have four cups of wine at the Seder. So the first cup of wine and the third cup of wine, the first cup of wine is the Kiddush, the beginning of the meal. The third cup of wine is after we complete the meal. So there's one thing we're doing is eating eating a meal with, with, with ritual observances within the meal. The other thing we do is that we speak. We do two things. We study. We tell the story. There's the Haggadah. The vehicle for the Seder is the Haggadah. And that's, the instructions are to study the story, to tell the story, and then to give thanks. Gratitude, which takes the form of song. And I suppose if we had a conversation, we would perhaps have a debate. What should we do first? Should we eat first and tell the story later? That makes sense, because if, if we eat first, uh, if we eat, well, if we eat first, we'll, you know, people are hungry, and then we have time afterwards to speak about, to tell the story, to sing. On the other hand, one might say, if we eat first, we'll be too tired afterwards to tell the story. So what should we do? So at the Seder, the order that we have been given is to interweave them. We begin with the meal, Kiddush, and then we stop and we tell the story, and then we stop once again, and we eat the meal, and then we complete with songs of gratitude. So that interweaving is what we call the Seder, the order. So this project is about Seder and song. You've mentioned this um, interweaving of different elements, and you've mentioned that we conclude with a song, but how is song central rather than just a small piece of what's happening? Right, so it's interesting that the song, the uh, first part of the Seder, which is the telling of the story, at the very end, before we eat the meal, we actually begin to recite what's called the Hallel. Hallel are six psalms, which are songs of recited on festivals, songs of gratitude. Typically, they recited six psalms, one after the other, but at the Seder, we actually start the Hallel. The first two psalms, Psalm 113 and Psalm 114, and the last thing we do is we recite Psalm 114, which is the psalm of B'tzeit Yisrael mi Mitzrayim, when Israel left Egypt. So we actually end with song. And it's actually interesting to note that in the typical Jewish liturgy, we always end with song. We end the blessings of the Shema with song, Shirach HaDashah. 
we preface our daily prayer with song, Psuke de Zimra. At the end of the service, we have the Shir Shoyom, the song of the day. And at the Seder as well, we end the first part of the Seder with song. We end the second part of the Seder with song. And in addition to that, we have other songs. Apart from the Hallel, Psalms 113 through 118, we also have the Great Hallel after the meal, Psalm 136. We make a blessing afterwards called Birkat Hashir, the blessing of song, also known as Nishmat. And there is a common practice that after the Seder is over, we sing more songs. So the Seder is infused with song. So you mentioned that we complete the first half uh, of the Seder, so to speak, with Psalm 114. Um, What is that song talking about? So that Psalm 114, when Israel left Egypt, the Exodus, which is basically the subject of the evening, so it describes when Israel left Egypt, became God's people, God's holy people, and then it describes how the world has responded. The rivers flee, the mountains skip with joy, and the psalmist asked the rivers and the mountains, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Before the God, Chuli, interesting Hebrew word, came in to create, Chuli, before the Creator, it can mean, Lachil means fear, to tremble, and Micholot are musical instruments. So the world is trembling before this revelation. The world is rejoicing. The world is moving. As Israel is moving, the mountains are skipping, the rivers are fleeing. So this particular psalm is interesting, and there are many different ways to interpret B'tzeit Yisrael Mitzrayim. In fact, in the Torah, uh, it describes the leaving of Egypt in the book of Exodus as Bechipazon. You left in haste. You were thrown out of Egypt. You couldn't tarry. There's a sense of urgency, perhaps of fear, of rushing out, of unpreparedness. That's one set of verses. Elsewhere, the Torah says you left Egypt be Yad Ramah. Yad Ramah with a hand held high. Perhaps that means with pride, with defiance, with no fear. So, B'tzeit Yisrael mi Mitzrayim, Psalm 114, the great psalm for the Seder, lends itself to different interpretations. And this is a psalm that a lot of different music, Hasidic music, has been written for. And it's interesting to hear how the writers of the particular Nigunim have understood, have interpreted Psalm 114. Let's listen to one of those interpretations. This comes out of the school of Mujits, the uh, great musicians of the Hasidic world. And this is one interpretation of Pitzet Yisrael Mi Mitzrayim.
You mentioned before that there are different ways to read and understand uh, what it was like to be coming out of Egypt. And uh, melodies can almost be a sort of midrash. Uh, do you have another interpretation? Sure. I think that um, let's listen to a second, a second, uh, again, from the same Hasidic school of Mujits, also written for, specifically for B'tzayt Yisrael Mi Mitzrayim, which has a completely different feel to it, a different feel to it. Let's listen to that. Before Hallel, uh, we say in every generation, we need to see ourselves as having left personally. How do you understand that? I think that's a very interesting question. I think that um, my understanding is that what it's saying is that we see ourselves as connected to that event. It's the beginning of our history, and it has relevance to who we are today. I don't necessarily think we have to envision ourselves as leaving, although there are traditions where actually people stand up at the Seder and walk around the table and actually feel that they're, or imagine that they're walking out of Egypt. 
Um, but for me, it's more about that moment of time of trying to connect to it and of trying to understand it. Because remember, when, the, when we left Egypt, we know the story. It's like when you go to a movie that you've seen already once before, you know the ending. But imagine that you don't know the ending. Imagine you're a slave in Egypt. You're walking out. You're leaving Egypt. There are promises. There are statements of where you might end up. But who knows? Going off into a desert. And trying to put yourself in that moment of uncertainty, of hope, perhaps of trepidation, of fear. So I try to imagine what it might have felt like. On the other hand, you've been slaves for so many years, abused, enslaved, marginalized, and you are marching out of Egypt. So I try to see myself as, imagining myself as marching out of Egypt, and actually being a witness to this moment of, of revelation, which is what Psalm 114 is about. The world is walking with us. The world is trembling. The world is rejoicing. So here's another uh, Nigun that I remember when I was a child. It's an old Hasidic Nigun. I don't know where it's coming from. And this is more of a march. I don't think it was written specifically for this particular psalm, but I think it is appropriate, and I think it can be connected to the experience of walking out of Egypt.
Thank you, Rabbi Silber. I look forward to the next podcast.